Welcome to the Thrive Vineyard Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Kevin Kiefer. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit thrivevineyard.com. Being a dad, for me, uh, being a, a good dad has always been one of the most important and valuable things to me um, in my whole life. And I, I grew up with a really, really good dad. My dad was super involved with my brothers and I. Um, I didn't have any sisters, otherwise he'd be involved with them as well, I'm sure. But uh, he did everything with us. He, he, We played together. As a matter of fact, dad played with us from the time we were toddlers until... Uh, goodness, we were out of college. He just loved hanging out with the boys. Um, he would pray with us and pray for us, um, and he disciplined the heck out of the boys. Um, but we were three brothers that grew up in the late 70s and the early 80s in blue-collar Kenosha. Uh, my dad worked at the car plant, and so our lives were, we were crazy. I mean, we were no altar boys for sure. Actually, we were altar boys, every one of us, but, um, but we were also absolute maniacs, right? And so dad was always there with lots of love and plenty of discipline to keep us um, in line. And so uh, I have sort of the blessing of, of have, having had a dad that was really, really imperfect, but also really awesome. And I, I hope that you guys can can join me in, in understanding that our, our parents can be both really, really imperfect and also really awesome at the same time. And so um, I've always wanted to be a really, really good dad to my kids because I just love the whole concept of father. I just love the idea of father. Father is protector. Father is provider. Father is encourager and cheerleader and disciplinarian and friend. And I've wanted to uh, to just love my kids with, you know, a, 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 just a way of encouraging them and being a cheerleader to them and, and being a friend to them. And so I come by my love of fathering really, really honestly. And I got a lot of it from Jim Key from my dad, but I also got um, so much formation, so much vision for what it means to be a father by my heavenly father and hopefully your heavenly father. And that's why... Um, I have always, always loved the story of the prodigal son. And the prodigal son for me is my, uh, it's my number one in scripture. It's my absolute favorite. It's always been my favorite story because it shows the true heart of God in such a beautiful way, in such a winsome way, in such a, a, a clear way. Jesus just shines this gorgeous spotlight on who God is to us, who he is as our father, and he, it reveals his character. And so I love it. And for if, you know, most of you guys, I, I see you and I know you, and I know that most of you know this story of the, the prodigal son. But um, I, I want to share with you that I believe that it is actually one of the more misunderstood teachings of Jesus and parables of Jesus. And I, I understand that many of us, we probably sort of get the point about who God is in it, but we often really misunderstand what Jesus was trying to do, and we actually misplace ourselves in that story. 
Um, and so we're going to hear lots about this this week and next week. I'm really excited. This will be a two-week little sermon series on the prodigal. And uh, over the course of the summer, I read a book um, by Tim Keller, the late Tim Keller, called The Prodigal God, The Prodigal God. And I loved this thing. It was such a good read. I was so strengthened by it. And um, I read it back in June. And ever since I read it, I was like, Oh, I can't wait to share. I tried not to think about preaching it to you guys when we were gone, but I was really, really excited to do that. And here's why um, it's been, I've been so excited. The parable of the prodigal son, you guys, is going to help us to um, receive and to appreciate and to understand the love of your heavenly father more than probably you have ever done in the past. The, Jesus just does so many things, things that are kind of below the surface with the character of God. And I want us to, to experience the love of the father in a more profound way than we have previously. But the other reason why um, I would have been excited to share this with you is because it also will, will show us the character of Jesus. And Jesus is actually kind of a hidden figure in this story. Story, but he's more there than you realize. And then there's one last thing that, that makes me want to share this with you guys, and it's this. This week, I actually um, had coffee with this young man um, at Panera, which is where I'm always at. Just can't help myself. As a matter of fact, I have a dear friend from Panera that showed up today. Anyway, um, I was meeting with this, this young man. <laughs> yes, Amen. So I was meeting with this young man and we were just talking about life and his career and things like that. And he let me in on this little secret. He said, my dream job really is that someday I could be a pastor. And I was like, wow, that is really, really amazing. Um, tell me more about that. He said, oh, I just, I, I, I've wanted to do it. I don't know how to get there, but it's been exciting to me to think about it. And he said, but I have one real regret and it really bothers me. And I said, what's that? And he said, well, I have never yet been able to lead anyone to Christ. I've never done that in my life and I want to so bad and it's just never happened for me. And I, you know, just kind of tried to comfort him and cast vision for him to, uh, to be able to do that. But here's the thing, you guys. One of the things that I hope will come out of our time together as we look at the parable of the prodigal son is that we will learn how to love people that where we're at right now, we couldn't possibly imagine that we would love them. That's one of the things that comes out of the story is that we will become a people that can love the most unlovable people in our lives. And that is so glorious to God, isn't it? When his church can love people that nobody else in the world could ever tolerate, we would be the ones to not only tolerate them, but to just love them. And, and I wonder, you guys, if we will start to love so well that we could love some people right into the kingdom of God. We could love them right out of hell and right into heaven. That's our call. That's our opportunity. And so Jesus shared this parable and Luke writes it in Luke chapter 15. And, uh, and so he sort of sets the, the background a little bit in chapter 15, verse one. It says this, tax collectors and other notorious sinners often came to listen to Jesus teach. That's important, by the way. This made the Pharisees and the teachers of the religious law complain that he was associating with such sinful people, even eating with them. And so Jesus told them this story. Now, um, the first thing to note, the first important thing actually occurs right here in verses one and two, and that is this. There were, in this particular setting, there were two groups of people that were listening to Jesus 
uh, teach, okay? And the first group of people were his regulars. They were the people that were always following him around, always excited to listen to him, always excited to just spend time with him, right? And these were the people that were the farthest from God. These were the people that you couldn't imagine uh, would be the ones to be interested in God or interested in religion or something like that, right? And, um, and so these were, it says specifically that they were tax collectors and notorious sinners. Now, I have no idea what it means to be a notorious sinner. I'm kind of curious about that. But um, this is who that group of people were. And as you probably know, for those of you that know the parable of the prodigal prodigal son, you'll know that in a few minutes, what we're going to do is we're going to talk about um, this young son, the younger son in the family, who uh, basically said to his father, I just want you dead so I can have your stuff. I cannot wait for you to die. I don't want relationship with you, but I want your money and I'm willing to sell everything so that I can, I'm willing to sever everything so I can just get your money. And I want you guys to understand that in this group of people that were listening to him, this group of, of, uh, uh, of, you know, tax collectors and sinners, they heard themselves in this story. When Jesus comes and describes a person who has broken all relationship and burned bridges behind them just so that they could pursue money or comfort or wild living, those people listening to Jesus, they understood the prodigal son. They were like, I get that. I've done that very same thing. I have sold my soul to the devil and it is no picnic. We get it. And so these guys were listening to Jesus and they felt that Jesus understood them, these these outcasts. And I, I want to just bring it home. I'm going to keep like asking us to focus in on ourselves for a moment. And I want to ask you, who would these people be in your context? Who would the outcasts be in your context? Who would the people be that you have no respect for, the people that you really have a hard time with, the people that you can't relate to at all? Is it some, is it a a neighbor of yours? Somebody that is like either super introverted or they party too hard or they're just annoying to you and you can barely stop yourself from talking bad about them to other people? Is it somebody that you work with that annoys you? Is it somebody on the other side of the political aisle? Is it somebody that is in a really, really different socioeconomic status than you are? Who are the people that are outcasts to us? And I want us to kind of ponder that. So those were Jesus's fans. Those were the people that followed him all over the place. But on this particular occasion, there was another group of people that were there listening. And this was people on the completely other side of the spectrum. This, these people were the religious elite. These were the most religious people around. They were the, the Pharisees, the teachers of the law, right? These were people that had given their entire lives to being holy. They'd, they had grown up from kids doing everything that they could to live morally perfect lives, to serve God with their moral perfection, right? And they would end up relating, we'll find out later, there's an older brother in the story of the prodigal son, right? And they would really, really end up relating to the older brother in the story. But these were people that disdained those outcasts and those, those, you know, those uh, tax, collect, tax collectors and things like that. And I want to ask you, Again, who is it in our lives that is the older brother? Who's the older brother in this scenario? Who is it? Could it be us? 
going to be those of us in this room. We'll find out more about that in a couple of, uh, or uh, next week, right? But here's the thing. The, this group of uh, uh, of Pharisees, this group of religiously, you know, like strict people, they were so offended by what they saw. They were so offended by Jesus. They thought, this guy is absolutely shaming God. They were so angry with him, and Jesus could hear their complaining. He could feel the anger coming off of them. And in his heart, he was saying, you have no idea what my father is like. You have no idea the true heart of God. And that is why he shared this story. And so here's the story that he shared. A man had two sons. The younger son told his father, I want my share of your estate now before you die. And so the father agreed to divide his wealth between his two sons. A few days later, this younger son packed all his belongings and moved to a distant land. And there he wasted all of his money on wild living. And about the time that his money ran out, um, a great famine swept over the land and he began to starve. And so he persuaded a local farmer to hire him and the man sent him into the fields to feed the pigs. And the young man became so hungry that even the pig slop, even the pods that he was feeding the pigs looked good to him, but no one gave him anything. So he worked for this man feeding pigs and he didn't even have the, the enough money to, to buy food for himself. So he was in big trouble. So Tim Keller, uh, and here's something I want to say to you guys. If you, uh, if you hear me, uh, say anything that's particularly wise or particularly profound, I guarantee it came from Tim Keller. Or Jesus. <laughs> He's also a part of this, right? So, uh, but Tim Keller says this. He said that really the parable of the prodigal son ought to be, uh, named the parable of the two lost sons because they were both lost. And so just to orient you, what we're going to do today is today we're going to focus on the father and the younger son. And next week we're going to talk about the older brother, the older son and a mystery figure that no one actually sees, but is very, very present in this story. Right. And so some of you may have heard this in the past, but for the younger son to go to his father and ask for the inheritance was just an absolute insult. It was a hurtful, terrible thing to say, a terrible thing to think, a terrible thing to do. And it would have shamed his father, his family, and the whole community, right? And so um, probably what would have happened is, is back in their day, most people didn't have like a million dollars sitting in a bank somewhere. Instead, all of the family money would be in land, lots of land, and in all of the things that would be happening in the land, the people that work the land and the servants and the cattle and the fields and all of those things. And that land would have been in the family for generations, generation after generation after generation, right? And so when the son came to the father and said, I want my share of the inheritance, what he was probably asking is he was gonna, here's what he was gonna do. He was gonna say, give me my land that is on our family property in this community and I'm gonna sell it to the highest bidder I'm going to take the money and I'm just going to go away. I'm going to run, right? And in doing so, what the son was doing was not only completely severing relationship with his family, but he was literally making his family's life and the father's life smaller and sadder and and harder. His whole position in the community would have been reduced because of what this embarrassing son did, right? This was just a horrible thing. But as shocking as this young son's request was, what is even more shocking is that the father acquiesced. He said, oh, 
I'll give it to you. You've asked for it. And so the father simply gave the son what he asked for. And so the younger son, as we just read, he goes off. He spends it all on wild living, whatever that is. Doesn't sound like it was good. And um, it could have taken months. It might have taken a year or two. We don't know how long. But at any rate, however long the money lasted, it ran out. Famine came through the land and the son ended up with nothing. And so he's starving, working uh, with, you know, pigs and just having a miserable life. And he's trying to figure out how do I survive? How do I survive? And I'm not sure that he was necessarily like, how can I, how can I win back the heart of my father? I'm not sure that he was like, I just want connection with my family again. I am sure that he wanted to eat. And so he came up with sort of this, this story, he had this sort of eureka moment where he concocted a plan where he would go back and he would ask his father if he could be like one of the hired hands or the hired servants. And so here's how it's recorded uh, in Luke. When he finally came to his senses, his eureka moment, he said to himself, at home, even the hired servants have food enough to spare. And here I am dying of hunger. I will go home to my father and say, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Please make or take me on as a hired servant instead. So interestingly, scholars actually think that this request was actually a very specific request, and you'll see that in a second, but the prodigal knew this. The son knew that he could never be restored in relationship to his father again. That was over. That ship had sailed. He had disgraced his father. He had disgraced the family. He had disgraced the whole community. And that relationship was beyond repair. It was over and done with. Even the, the rabbis, they taught that, that even if forgiveness were requested, forgiveness could never be given without full restitution being paid. And there was no way for this young son to be able to do that. He had no skills. He had no hope. All he had was an empty stomach, right? That was it. But on his father's land, there were these hired hands, these these servants who had some sort of a skill. They weren't a part of the family, but they were either good at dealing with cattle or they were carpenters. They were something and they lived on the land. They were a part of the family in that regard and they were paid for whatever the skill was that they had. And the son thought, maybe I could go back to the family estate and I could be trained in something and I could somehow eke out a living for myself. That's what I'm going to go and ask for. And so he, he has his story. He has the, 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 the speech that he's going to make to his father and he begins the walk home and you can imagine how uncomfortable this walk home would be that every mile when he got closer and closer and closer to dad, he must have just started sweating bullets, right? Not only because who would want to face this, but also because so much was on the line. He had no hope beyond this. And so we come to this, this conversation with his father. And of course, it is the turning point of the story. And so verse 20 says this. Actually, I'm going to wet my whistle real quick. It says, so he returned home to his father. And while he was a long way off, his father saw him coming. And filled with love and compassion, the father ran to his son and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. 
But but his father said to the servants, quick, bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him. That would have been the father's own robe. Get a ring for his finger, get sandals for his aching feet and kill the calf that we have been fattening. We must celebrate with a feast for the son of mine was dead and now he has returned to life. He was lost, but now he is found. And so the party began. I love, one of the things I love about Jesus was he was always down for the party. He was a party animal. I think he was. I'm going to share something with you now that is a little embarrassing. Uh, but if you've been here for very long, you know that I am pretty transparent. And so um, I want to share with you guys that when Molly and I first started dating, I was, she's looking at me like, what's he going to say? When we first started dating, I was so in love with her that I literally think it made people physically nauseous. Seriously. They were like, my family was like, please stop talking about Molly. Please, you're killing us. That's how much, how like, you know, smitten I was with Molly. And one of the things that I would do, this is so embarrassing. But one of the things that I would actually do is when I would drive around town, and especially if I got anywhere near her apartment, if I came up to like a four-way stop sign or something, I would just scan. Like maybe Molly's in the car right over here. If I was at a stoplight, I would look across the way like, could she be near me? Could I catch a, a glimpse of Molly somewhere near her? That would be the most amazing thing. I would, I would do that all the time. I was that into her. I was just completely smitten. And we see, you guys, that the father is exactly like that for the son. He's exactly like that. And one of my absolute favorite scriptures in all of scripture, and I share it with you guys, I say it to you guys once a quarter or something like that, is when God says to us, he says, see, I have written your name on the palm of my hand. I've written your name on the palm of my hand. He loves us so much. And I, I imagine him, I imagine him writing K-E-V-I-N and putting a heart over the I, right? He just loves us so much. As a matter of fact, in the verses just before that, he says, you know, even if your own mother could possibly forget you, I will never forget you. Even if your own family could turn their back on you, I could never do that because I love you that much. And so Jesus shares this, that that the father loved his son so much that he was always looking. He was always looking. He was always looking down the lane, hoping that his son would return home. And as you and I, as we live out our lives with the, the, the many touches with people that we have during the, the course of our, our regular life, you know, when I, um, I, during COVID, at the worst, deepest, darkest part of COVID, when nobody could be around anybody else, I started to think about how many people in my week I normally am touched by, how many interactions I have with people during the course of the week. And I, I, I kind of came up with a figure, and it's a rough figure, but I thought that I probably interacted with about a thousand people every week in all the different arenas of my life. And during the worst part of COVID, that number was reduced to about 12 people. 
And I knew that I was hurting for connection. And I thought many of us are hurting for connection. But now our number has been popped back up again. You're around all kinds of people. And I wonder how many of those people are far from God. I wonder how many of the people that you connect with, spend time with, interact with, are God's children that have run far from him, that don't know him, that are estranged from him, that misunderstand his character, misunderstand his goodness. And I just want to ask you, are you looking down the lane for them to come home? Are you the one that's going to bring them home? Are you the one that's praying them into the kingdom? Are you the one that's, that's inviting God's heart breaks for his kids that are lost. And I want to ask you, does yours? Does your heart break? In our house, um, you know, I, uh, there are things that keep me up at night. And um, recently there's been something in my life that I've literally lost sleep over. I, I, you know, I, I wake up and then I just can't go back to bed. Um, in, in our house, the thing that keeps Molly up at night is literally our kids. Um, they are... Adults now, or I refer to them as semi-adults, but uh, whatever, they're, they're on their way, right? Legally. Um, and so, so our kids, Molly, if, so as adults, and sometimes they live in our house and sometimes they don't, um, oftentimes, especially on a weekend, they will go out and they'll be out late, right? They could be out till one, two, you know, three in the morning, whatever it is. And unfortunately for Molly, she cannot sleep until they are home safe. She can't do it. She just doesn't sleep. Me, I sleep like a rock. Maybe that dad thing, I got to work. But, um, but she does not sleep until the kids are safely home. And I just want to ask us, because God is the same way. Do we, can we rest easy even though his kids are far from home? Even though his kids are, are going off the deep end? Just want to ask us about that. Think about that. So anyway, in spite of everything, in spite of all that the son had done to his father to grieve him, in spite of the embarrassment that he caused him, the father was night and day looking off in the distance for his son, right? Praying that the son would return home. And of course, so he does. And so he comes to the father and, uh, and instead of the father waiting there, very dignified for the son to come home and to, to make his speech and the father to do that pregnant pause thing where he holds the son's future kind of in his hands and the son has to catch his breath and wait for it. That's not at all what happens. What happens is this. The father ran. He ran. He picked up his robes and he ran to his lost beloved son. And the, the son, you know, sees the dad. This dad approaches and he begins to recite that, that speech that he was going to make, right? And the father doesn't even hear it. He doesn't even hear it. He says, quick, get the robe, get the ring for his get finger, get the sandals for his feet. And he wraps the son up in this embrace, this hug, and he kisses is his son. And this happened a long way from home. This didn't happen in the house where nobody could see this, this embarrassing display of love. It happened way down the lane. And what happened is this. This was a declaration. This was a public declaration, not just to the son, but to the whole community that there would be no paying restitution. There would be no groveling. There would be no process of restoration. There would be no season of earning back trust. All there would be was a party, just a party for this son, actually the party of all parties, the biggest party that probably the family had ever had in their whole life. And this is what Jesus was teaching 
about the heart and the character of his father and your father and mine. The father pounced on his son who was so rebellious. Now, do you guys know the definition of prodigal? It's actually amazing. Prodigal means this, spending money or resources freely and recklessly, wastefully extravagant, having or giving something on a lavish scale. Who was the prodigal? Who was the prodigal? It's the father. The father was the prodigal. And this is the lesson, church. There is no sin. There is no act of stupidity. There's no moral failure. There's no brokenness. There's no life story. There's no background or trauma. There's nothing that you have ever done and nothing that's ever been done to you that could possibly diminish or quench or separate the love of God for you. There is nothing that could, could, could touch it. Not at all. And I know that for some of us, we can sort of get that. And for others of us, it could be a little bit difficult to receive. We have a little bit of a hard time receiving that. But he loves you so much that there is nothing that you have ever done or could ever do that could diminish that. And you don't have to come with a speech. You don't have to come having your heart set on doing better in the future. You don't have to come beating yourself up to receive the love of your father because he's already on your side. You're his kid. He cares for you more than anything. He is the one that comes running to you. Now, let me just say this, and it's actually important to say, you're going to hear me talk about this some next week, but this incredible love of the Father, it is not free. It comes at a dear price, a dear, heavy price needed to be paid so that he could love you and you could receive that love. This is no cheap grace, you church. This love is costly to him and it can only be received by faith. It can only be received in humility by us, but this love is real and it is unshakable. And so I'm gonna finish with this, guys. And it's just our time of application. Um, and then we're going to pray. Uh, I want you to think about, why don't we just stand up? We're just going to kind of move into some ministry time. But this is our application as well. Thank you. So the, there's probably three things that I would like you to think about and do something with um, as we walk out of here. The first thing that I want to share with you guys is that the next time you mess up, you know, I, I don't know how long it's been since your last mess up. I assume it's not long. But the next time that you mess up, the next time that you feel guilty, the next time you feel ashamed, the next time you feel like, oh my goodness, I have absolutely let... God down. What I want you to do is I want you to remember the prodigal father. The next time you feel like, oh my goodness, I am a mess. What is wrong with me? I did it again. I want you to remember the prodigal father and let him be that for you. Remember that he puts a ring on your finger. He puts a robe on your back. He comes running to you to embrace you and to kiss you in your mess, just as you are. 
And I pray that this, this like religiosity that we have, this desire to like pay for ourselves, that it would be broken off of us so that we could fully experience the unbelievable love of God. Um, there may be some of you guys here that have really never known that love. There may be some of us here, I don't know everybody in the room, and you may have never really had a connection with God. You may have misunderstood who he is. You thought he was judgmental or you thought he was distant or far away. You didn't know that he was a father that loves you and comes running. But if, if you want to know God that way, this is the moment right now. And so if you want to know God that way, then I would just invite you right now in this moment to just close your eyes and just say, Father, I receive your love. Please forgive me for my mess. Please forgive me for doing life on my own. Please forgive me for not trusting you. But I want to be loved that way. I need a father like that. And every other person in this room We've all made that declaration that we need a father just like that. And so I want to invite you to be able to, to do that today. And if you are just inviting God to be your father today, I would ask you to come and see Molly or I just so that we can bless you and give you that, that, that fatherly or that motherly hug. And then the only, the, the last bit that I just want to, I just want to challenge us on. I, I care so much about this, you guys. God cares so much about this. And you're going to have an encounter with somebody in your life. And there's going to be this like moment where you want to be hard on them. And you want to withhold forgiveness. You may even want to punish them. And in that moment, I want you to remember the prodigal father. Every one of us has, we've received a gift that we couldn't possibly earn. We didn't deserve it. And so in your life, with the people that annoy you, the people that are so different from you, that even the people that are closest to you, in that moment when there's this gut check and you want to be tough, I want you to remember the prodigal father. Does that make sense? I'm going to pray over you. Lord Jesus, uh, I just pray over every person in this room. I pray over every person that's listening at home. I know that there's not one of us that is here by random chance, but that you have drawn each of us here. And I, I thank you that no matter how long we've been uh, a follower of Jesus, it could be one day, it could be five minutes old, or we could have followed him for decades. And yet we will never get to the depths of your love for us. And so I pray, Lord Jesus, that where we have been hurt in the past, where we have uh, uh, experienced things in life that have made us suspicious, that have made us want to hide, have made us feel shame in our lives. I just, I just break off shame over every person in this room where there's been a pointing finger, an accusation, a lie, even if it comes from ourselves, Lord. I just say no to all of that. And I just 
pour out your father's love, the prodigal love, that reckless love, that overspending on love over every person here. And I pray we would be set free from condemnation, condemnation from the outside and condemnation from the inside. And Father, I pray for just an anointing over this people that you would make us courageous at love, that you would make us extravagant at love, that we would love people that are so far from us because I could never say that they're so far from you. They're your kids. So let us be your your lovers, the people that extend your love in a really amazing way, the way that it, it is in your heart, Lord. In the name of Jesus.